Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod, and welcome to this week's Reporters Roundtable, a look back at the news of the week with three top political reporters among items in the news this week, President Biden asked Congress for another $33 billion for Ukraine. Republican leader Kevin McCarthy tells a Trump-sized lie and yet gets nothing but praise from his fellow Republicans. For the second time, freshman Congressman Madison Cawthorn's caught by TSA trying to take a loaded gun onto a plane. Elon Musk says he's buying Twitter only in order to save Western civilization. Donald Trump says if it weren't for Mitch McConnell, he'd still be in the White House. And Dr. Fauci decides it's not safe to attend the White House Correspondents' Dinner, but President decided President Biden has decided to go anyway. So here today to help us make some sense of it all, Igor Babish, congressional correspondent for HuffPost. Hello, Igor. Welcome back. Hey, Bill. Linda Feldman, Washington Bureau Chief for the Christian Science Monitor. Welcome, Linda. Thank you. And Gabe DiBenedetti, National Political Reporter for New York Magazine. Uh, hello, Gabe. Howdy, Bill. So uh, I woke up with uh, on my cell phone some breaking news out of CBS News this morning. Uh, maybe a lot of you did, too. Uh, Congressman Jamie Raskin, a member of the January 6th committee, speaking to CBS News' new political, uh, top political correspondent, Robert Costa, moved over from the Washington Post, uh, making a pretty stunning conclusion about where the January 6th committee stands right now. Here is Congressman Raskin. The findings of the committee would blow the roof off the House because um, we now have the evidence to support a story of the worst presidential political crime against the union in American history. Nothing that any other president uh, ever did comes close to what happened on that day. And uh, it will be harrowing for the American people to watch this story unfold as we almost lost it all um, on the afternoon and evening of January the 6th, 2021 blow the roof off the house. If this is true, Igor, what is the January 6th committee going to do with this evidence? Well, uh, it's going to be very interesting to watch these hearings um, in the next month or so uh, take place. What what I did find interesting about his uh, comment there was he called it the worst political crime, not not the worst crime. So, um, you know, the language matters. There's been some debate whether they're going to refer Trump to the, you know, the, this matter to the Justice Department, whether there's going to be a legal proceeding against him or not. Um, so the, I find that interesting. And of course, Jamie Raskin is 
was one of the lead House impeachment managers, uh, you know, during the impeachment trial uh, a couple mm-hmm. years ago, and he's played this role before. And 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 my um, my view, you know, they're going to be kind of on the hot seat again and present even more new information because uh, you've seen a lot of a lot of texts emerge and a lot of stuff already be leaked. So the pressure is going to be kind of on them to to really deliver the goods. Uh, by the way, you you referenced hearings. Uh, they do have what did I read? Eight hearings scheduled for the month of May. That's right. Yeah, these are, these are public hearings. So uh, does this mean that they're out of their phase of um, you know private meetings with key individuals? And they're yeah, ready. It to- certainly seems like it, and and I believe they're going to start in June. So we're going to see a, a lot of hearings, some in prime prime time. Um, where they're going to lay out some more evidence they found. Of course, they found a lot of new things that we have not known yet. So I, I believe that it's definitely going to be worth watching. Right. So, Linda, I'm sure um, at the White House briefings that uh, uh, Jen Psaki has been asked uh, about this, is there any evidence that you've seen that the White House is pushing uh, Merrick Garland to take action on some of this these charges against Trump? So the White House is working very hard to maintain a public distance on the the dealings of the January 6th committee and the places where it intersects with Department of Justice. They don't want to be seen as involved in what Jamie Raskin noted was political. So, you know, do we believe that? I don't know. I mean, Department of Justice is, of course, part of the executive branch and you have to think there are behind the scene com- communications, but they absolutely have to maintain a public posture of distance. So they won't even say publicly, we hope the attorney general moves, right? Or we encourage him to do so or. Yeah, they don't, they don't need to do that. I think there's a danger of uh, this actually helping Donald Trump. I mean, he's, this could be the biggest witch hunt of all to use his term. And mm. Uh, you know, why should the Biden White House help him in that way? What what happens, happens. You've got the January 6th committee, you have DOJ, and I think the White House can can afford to kind of take a back seat, at least in its public posture. So, Gabe, uh, there's uh, everybody sort of agrees that, that the 2022 uh, doesn't look good for Democrats, right, in the midterms. Uh, if there are t- charges, evidence of the worst presidential political crime in American history that come out against Donald Trump. Could that impact the midterms uh, and help democratic chances? It's definitely a good question. I think that there are a few different factors here. One is, okay, a lot is going to change between now and November. That's just true. But the the overall point, uh, which is that the environment is very sour for Democrats, no one doubts that whatsoever. As to the question about the January 6th committee and its findings, uh, the investigation, listen, there's a lot of – this is starting to feel like a tale as old as time for Democrats in the sense that uh, there are a lot of people in the party who want uh, candidates to talk about this kind of thing a lot, to talk about Trump's Mm -hmm. various malfeasances. And there are a lot who say, listen, real voters don't care about this stuff. Uh, They just want to hear about health care and the economy and gas prices. So this is, you know, we're going to I'll tell you right now that we're going to see hundreds of headlines about this divide in the Democratic Party. But I think to the broader point that, uh, you know, I think we should really remember 
of course, this is something that people do care about. I don't think that this is necessarily the issue for a lot of voters. I think that there's a reason that Democrats are sometimes hesitant to talk about it. But I think the question is more uh, the, the more you know relevant question is going to be just what is the list of things that candidates are going to be talking about this fall? I would argue this is going to be high up there, but it's going to be behind probably something that we're not even talking about right now, which is uh, abortion politics, because we're likely to see mm -hmm. Roe v. Wade struck down this summer or some version of that. There are a lot of dynamics that uh, are going to feed into these midterms. I do think that you're going to see a big debate on Capitol Hill about how hard Democrats should go on this. Uh, and it does seem like I think an underrated part of this is that the president and the people around him want to be talking about this once charges are filed or once some more stuff goes public. Uh, this is something they're pretty upset about, but they don't think that they can talk about it right now. Right. Well, if it's dividing Democrats, in other words, how much distress 2020, right? It's also starting um, to divide some Republicans. I want to play a quick clip here. This is David Perdue, former senator, who's now running against Brian Kemp for governor of Georgia. And he has made his, he has based his whole campaign on uh, the 2020 was a fraudulent election and Joe Biden is an Ill the, the total Trump big lie, if you will. First off, folks, let me be very clear tonight. The election in 2020 was rigged and stolen. So that, that's his main plank. The New York Times is a big piece this morning about the Michigan Republican Party that is split right down the middle now because uh, the Republican Party of Michigan endorsed some Trump candidates, again, who are making a big fraud in 2020, their number one issue. And the uh, Republican Party, a lot of people, have, uh, leaders in the party, have left the party saying, we don't think that's a winning issue for 2020. Uh, Igor, let me go to you. Do you see any break among Republicans in Congress that maybe we ought to back off making 2020 our big issue? Well, of course, you have top top leaders in the party like Mitch McConnell making the case that, you know, we should move on uh, and talk about issues that, that really matter to people like inflation, like the economy uh, and the border. And you're seeing them stress this message every day. But uh, on the other hand, you've got, you know, the Trump wing of the party uh, who is uh, who is still remains very much uh, dominant, uh, making making this ridiculous and, and false uh, argument that, that the 2020 election was stolen. And, and now it's it's sort of a, a, a tactic to get out the vote. Essentially, they're, they're, the people who care most about this issue are the ones who are most anima animated about turning it out in November and, and Republicans know that and they're some of them are willing to, to feed feed the fire, so to say, to to in order to get um, uh, control of Congress in November. And that's all that really matters to them right now. Right. Uh, and L Linda, you uh, traveled with the president on a recent trip up to the northwest to uh, Portland and Seattle. Uh, and as you reported, it was a, at a fundraiser up there. Uh, where the president picked up this theme of what the Republican Party is today, uh, here is the President Biden. This ain't your father's Republican Party. They all, all kidding aside, this is the MAGA party now. These guys are a different breed of cat. They're not like what I served with for so many years. And the people who know better are afraid to act correctly because they know they'll be primary. So, Linda, it sounds like the president wants to make this an issue and use it as an issue, the MAGA party. 
Right. No, for sure. I'm not saying they won't make it an issue. I'm just saying it yeah. can't be the top issue. I mean, voters yeah. care most about inflation and the the health of the economy. They care about COVID. Uh, there's a lot that touches them personally. Uh, you know, th- what happened on January 6, 2021 is, of course, deeply important, but it's not the main thing. And I mean, I was just struck by by Joe Biden and his reverence for the Republican Party of yore, mm. uh, you know, how he truly does have a good had a good relationship with Mitch McConnell and who, of course, is no friend of Donald Trump. So we have these divisions within both parties. And I, and I know that Joe Biden is frustrated uh, by all the talk about Democratic divisions, but he he will push back on that and talk about how divided the Republicans are. So, you know, both parties have problems, but right. he doesn't want us to forget about the deeply divided Republicans. So, Gabe, I guess this issue is a test, isn't it, for 2022? I mean, it could help Republicans get control of the, the Congress uh, and governorships, or it could backfire. Yeah, uh, I don't know if it's a test in the sense that there aren't a ton of real voters out there who, in general, elections are likely to focus on this issue. Certainly, it's a test for the future of the Republican primary, uh, Mm. the the future of the Republican Party in the primaries. I mean, you look at what's going on in Georgia, for example. Um, You have people who are clinging to this to this uh, the big lie, as, as it's been called many times, um, and who aren't doing so well. That all of that said, I think that. It's easy to take a view of these races and overread them. It really is true that it's in many ways table stakes for Republicans, especially in primaries around the country, to believe this and to talk about a stolen 2020 election, which, of course, is is ridiculous. It's not true. Um, let's just <laughs> remind people of that, Let you know, if it needs to be said. Um it's not as if, uh, you know, swing voters are likely to, to care about this if there even are swing voters at, at, at this point. Um, th- this is not what's going to activate them. I doubt highly that you're going to see a lot of these candidates talk this much about it come, come mm-hmm. the fall. Um, but of course, it's going to be something that we should watch out for. Uh, are there Republican primary voters who are souring on this in a way that is sufficient to stop these people from winning? I don't know. We don't really have evidence that the people who are not winning, it's because of this so much as this is not by itself sufficient to win over those voters. Uh, well, before we move on, Linda, I want to come back to you and your uh, uh, trip there with the uh, uh, as part of the pool with the president up to um, to the Northwest, because you had a chance to, um, to see President Biden up close. He even came back to the, uh, to the press cabin in Air Force One. I think for the first time, right? Yeah. No, it was the first time he came back. I was shocked. Jeff Mason from Reuters pointed that out. I don't travel Air Force One all that much, but I, as I wrote in my story, I totally hit the jackpot on this one. Right. So he gaggled for, I don't know, until turbulence and everybody <laughs> had to had to sit down. So seeing him up close, I just have to ask you, did you see any evidence at all that Joe Biden is not up to the job as we keep hearing from so many Republicans? Right. So this is a tricky question. It's the, it's the number one thing people ask me when I when I say I cover the White House and they would just want to know, is Joe Biden all there? Does he have the mental acuity to do the job? And it's so the thing about Joe Biden, I've been in D.C. decades and he's in some ways he's always been like this. He's never been a good public speaker. He has a, a stutter from dating back to his childhood 
So the fact that he's not charismatic and that he interrupts himself and sometimes misspeaks, I mean, he's famous for his gaffes. That's, that's nothing new. So yes, he's, he's, he's about to turn 80 in November. Uh, he walks like an old man. Um, he misspeaks sometimes. It's possible he has a hearing problem and doesn't want to wear hearing aids. I'm just speculating here, which I probably shouldn't do. Um, but in terms of, uh, you know, and then there's social media, which complete, which takes little moments and blows them out of proportion. Like the time he allegedly turned after an event to shake hands with nobody. That was him gesturing at the audience. Uh, the PolitiFact, uh, fact-checking site concluded. So I would, I, I don't see impending senility. Uh, I have I have seen actual senility in family members and and even friends and I don't see it. Yeah, uh, I think that I think it's pretty clear that he is up to the job, uh, and as we've seen him tackle things, including the war in Ukraine, uh, he's proven that. But uh, the rumors still continue. That's why I wanted to get your your uh, your take on it. Uh, let's come back to uh, Congress. Uh, thanks to Jonathan Martin and Alex Burns about to come out with a new book, uh, Washington-centered. Um, we learned a lot this week uh, and last about Kevin McCarthy, who, according to uh, Jonathan and Alex, he uh, once told members of his caucus that he thought Trump should resign, and he was going to tell them that, and he thought that there were some of their members who were really crazy and hurting the Republican Party, and he was going to deal with them too. Kevin McCarthy immediately denied both things, that it was false reporting. And then um, the New York Times reporters released the tape, including this little snippet from McCarthy, where he talks about uh, having to crack down on some of the Republican members. Here he is. The other thing that we have to do is these members calling out other members, that stuff's got to stop. So I get up right here, I'm going to call Gate. Tension is too high. The country is too crazy. I do not want to look back and think we caused something or we missed something and someone got hurt. And I don't want to play politics with any of that. Uh, and even after the tape came out uh, where he said he was going to tell Donald Trump to resign and the one that we just heard, he still denied that he said it. Igor, what price does he have to pay for such a big lie? Well, I I think that, um, you know, we've known for a long time, even before these tapes came out, that Kevin McCarthy is a man who is willing to say or do just about anything to uh, to win the speakership. And I think these tapes and the reaction to them on the Hill from him and other other members uh, just prove that he he's got one one goal on his mind and he he will not. He will not be swayed from from getting that gavel, and he's willing to say and and completely lie ab- about what he said, what's on tape. And I think his fellow uh, Republican members of Congress are doing so now, and because they they want to to win uh, the majority, they're not willing to call him out on it publicly now. Um, now that said, what's going to happen when Republicans do win the majority? Um, there's going to be a, a vote for speaker and whether Kevin McCarthy can win that vote is going to depend on a couple factors, whether, you know, Trump still stick with, sticks with him, how many votes they do win, how much cushion does he have? Um, and, and we did see some, some indications of 
internal disagreements, some strife over these tapes uh, in, in the private House Republican conference. You know, you had uh, Congressman Matt Gates uh, sort of squabbling with with uh, Steve Scalise, the, the 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 minority whip over what Scalise said on those tapes. So I, I think this is a fight that's going to be waged after November and not now. But but as I said, you know, Kevin McCarthy is is willing to lie to get elected. And he does have a credible credibility issue with with the public and, and his own members. He's going to have to deal with that. Yeah. Uh, I just want to offer one correction, Igor. Uh, I think there's still the question of if Republicans take control of the House, not not <laughs> sure, not, sure. not when. Uh, I would just, <laughs> uh, maybe that's hopeful thinking on my part. I just want to correct. So, Gabe, you know, even in the Republican Party, there was one time when this would not stand. I mean, we remember what happened to Newt Gingrich, right, who was tossed out. And Bob Livingston, who was going to re- replace him, was tossed out. I mean, even... Even among themselves, they wouldn't stand for someone who would so uh, blatantly um, deny the facts and the truth. What's going on? Bill, wait till I tell you who was president for the last five years, uh, four years. Um, <laughs> four, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, th- I actually want to call it back to something that we heard a little bit earlier, uh, which was Joe Biden saying, this is not your father's Republican Party. Uh, he hasn't said that out loud a ton recently, but I know that he says that privately a ton and has you know, ever since mm-hmm. Trump started rising. Um, yes, it is. This is a, 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 a an evolution of the Republican Party. It's been slow at times. It's been very fast at times. Um, but, you know, Igor is right. This is a, a party. It's not just McCarthy. There are a lot of people in this party now who will lie or simply say things that are not true and, and pretend to believe them uh, for power. But, you know, Trump was, for many of them, an illustration that there are very few um, there are very few things they can do to actually get get in trouble uh, on that front. And that as long as they, you know, in, in many of their conceptions, promote their fealty to him, that's all that really matters. Um, it, I don't know what it would take uh, for for Republicans at this point as a whole, as a party to really, you know, change their change their stripes on this kind of thing. Um the fact is that they just don't want to pick a fight up, a fight like this right now. The dynamics could change dramatically, mm-hmm. as you say, if uh, Republicans take back the House, although that seems extremely likely. Um, but I think one thing that we've learned, it's sort of childish to to reduce everything to Donald Trump's moods. But the truth is, if he decided to turn on McCarthy, that would change things pretty dramatically uh, for a lot of members of the House because they aren't really deep thinkers about this stuff. Their thoughts are understandably for political purposes. Uh, because of how they think their voters think. Uh, how does Donald Trump feel on a day-to-day basis? So, you know, we're past his presidency, but we're not past his control of a lot of their minds. Um, and again, this was the natural conclusion or a, a natural next step from the direction that we saw the party going uh, during the Tea Party years uh, when, you know, for example, John Boehner had no control of his caucus whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, and Linda, just final point on this, not to beat it to death, but you said you've been around Washington for decades, reporting here for decades. Um, I guess <laughs> uh, you remember a time when telling the truth mattered, especially if you were uh, a president or a leader of a Republic, a Republican or Democratic Party, right? Uh, yeah. I mean... And it doesn't seem to anymore. Well, it matters if you're under oath. Let's put it that way. (laughs) That's a pretty low bar. That's a pretty low standard. So, yeah, 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 it's kind of sad. 
as Bill Clinton uh, learned the hard <laughs> way, right? Exactly. Yes. All right. Hey, there's still a lot going on. We didn't even get to Ukraine yet, didn't even get to Elon Musk yet. Uh, and we will after we take a quick break here uh, from with uh, today's roundtable. And our great panel, Igor Babish, Linda Feldman, and Gabe De Benedetti. Uh, hold on. We'll be right back after this quick message. And today's roundtable on the Bill Press Pod is brought to you by the American Federation of Teachers, those good men and women of the AFT, the Teachers of America, under the leadership of President Randy Weingarten. Uh, They are America's largest teachers union, 1.7 million members strong in some 3,000 affiliates across the country. Um, After the parents... Teachers are the most important people in our lives, and uh, as far as I'm concerned, every one of them is a hero. Every one of them is doing the Lord's work every day in the classroom. We salute the members of the AFT, thank them for their good work, thank them especially for their support of the Bill Press Pod. (sighs) The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Back with today's roundtable on the Bill Press Pod, Gabe De Benedetti joining us from New York Magazine, Linda Feldman from the Christian Science Monitor, and Igor Babish from Huff Post. So, uh, Linda, the president out yesterday uh, with um, a request, almost a demand, to Congress, thirty-three billion dollars. This is on top of fourteen billion dollars sent to Ukraine last month. Another thirty-three billion dollars for Ukraine. Uh, Linda, it looks like the longer this war goes on, the more aid uh, and support Joe Biden is willing to and determined to get to Ukraine. Yes. And yes, that was quite the stunning number. Um, So on one level, Americans very strongly support uh, the cause of Ukraine defending itself against uh, the the atrocities that that Russia is visiting upon them. But there's always a domestic political context. And that big number 
really begins to crash into uh, domestic politics here. I mean, $33 billion. Imagine what that could do for this country. And at the same time, the president is trying to get more uh, COVID funding out of Congress. So, uh, you know, American generosity toward Ukraine, not just in providing weapons, but in humanitarian assistance, uh, that will have its limits. So, you know, we'll have to see what happens in Congress. But um, I, I, I wouldn't guarantee that he gets $33 billion for Ukraine. How's it look, Igor? Um, are Republicans uh, willing to support it? Well, I think if, if you had a standalone vote on, on just the $33 billion aid package, it, it would pass. The problem is uh, every time you get one of these must-pass bills in Congress, uh, other people want to load it up with with other things. <laughs> right. So you've got, you know, of course, COVID funding, but also Republicans and some Democrats as well want to vote on uh, Title 42, uh, the Trump administration's uh, COVID slash border policy. Um, and we don't really know what's going to happen yet. You know, uh, Biden has said that he doesn't care how it moves through Congress. He just wants it uh, at his desk. So um, it's going to be very interesting next week and uh, to, to see how congressional leaders deal with this. I would imagine, I, I don't want to go too far in uh, reading their mind, but if it came down to getting the Ukraine funding and the only way to get it was to divide, you know, separate it from the COVID funding, Igor, they probably would do that, right? Would that be your read as well? I, I, I truly don't know, Bill. I mean, they've been pushing for this COVID funding for a while, um, and, and they are out of uh, money for Ukraine, as Biden said. So it is it is imperative. So maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Gabe, what I wonder is, so here we are, the United States, with as part of NATO, uh, we're at war in Ukraine against Russia. Usually when the United States is at war, people rally behind the president, his numbers soar, the poll numbers soar, because this we're all together in this. It hasn't happened with Ukraine. Why? Well, part of it is that uh, you won't really get many people in Washington to say outright we are at war uh, because of the fear that this escalates into something more. I mean, this is the sort of early, early days debate, which is that, you know, of course, there are no American troops in, in Ukraine. Right. Biden, yeah. Biden is very careful about that. He doesn't Good even point. want to Big difference. doesn't even want yeah. to be really seen uh, overly uh, as being overly aggressive in arming the Ukrainians, even though obviously that's what, you know, that's the direction this is going. Um purely in terms of of uh, indirect support um, and then obviously some direct support, but not, you know, missiles that are taking out Russian troops uh, primarily, primarily. Um, so it is complicated. You know, the idea is there's this escalation that people are afraid of. I think also the, the very fact of the matter is this is not really being read primarily in domestic media, at least as a Washington story. This is a Ukrainian story. You know, there isn't a ton of drama in the in the press that, you know, real people are consuming about the day to day of how Biden is thinking about this, how the White House is thinking about this versus how Capitol Hill is thinking about this. As we know, as we just discussed, it actually is quite dramatic or quite interesting in terms of Capitol Hill dynamics. But we don't really have a. a, a domestic story for people to focus on. And I think people do broadly think, you know, of all stripes that Biden has handled this just fine. But listen, it's not as if he is facing off against Putin in a real way. He's not the face of this as Zelensky mm -hmm. is. 
um, which, you know, from a from a war perspective, fine. From a political perspective, I'm sure Biden would like to be getting more of a balance from this. But frankly, you know, people are on a day to day basis are it's it's sad to say, but there's a reason people are more focused on their gas prices. When you look at polling of what people's top concerns are, even though there is a humanitarian uh, horrific crisis across the across the globe. Uh, Linda, I, I, I should have asked you earlier, there's another little wrinkle to this, which I found fascinating. Uh, did the president yesterday speak about this idea of seizing the assets of the oligarchs, like their yachts and condos, whatever, and selling them and then giving the money to Ukraine? Is I, that- I'm really, yeah, I'm, he did. And I'm really glad you raised that because I think that's very controversial. As much as we love to paint the, the Russian oligarchs as, as villains in this drama, that could very well be an Ill- illegal seizure of assets. I mean, and when, once you go down that slippery slope of seizing assets, Lord knows where that goes. So I think, I think uh, there need, more attention needs to be paid to that, the whole uh-huh. concept beyond yeah. just the Russian oligarch angle. Uh, I, I just want to ask you, but it was very sketchy, and I, I raised a, a, a lot of questions in my mind uh, as well. Uh, let's come back to Congress here for just a second. Uh, Igor, I'm going to ask you, and depend on you, tell us what's going on with Madison Cawthorn? I mean, okay, he's a freshman, <laughs> he's a freshman member of Congress. Uh, he called President Zelensky a thug. He's got, I think, three citations for driving violations, speeding or whatever. Um, for the second time this week, he was caught trying to get a loaded gun on a plane. Um, his senator, Tom Tillis from North Carolina, has said he should be investigated for securities fraud, insider trading with some Bitcoin deal. I mean, is this guy on a, does he want to get reelected or is he just out to self-destruct? What's your take? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up uh, Senator Tillis. I actually caught up yeah. uh, with him this week. And it's very unusual to have uh, a, a sitting senator, a sitting you know, member of your own party slamming you like this openly and even committing, yeah. you know, his his group, his super PAC is spending money to to take out Cawthorn. And I think Republicans have just have realized that he's uh, he's too much of a wild card. Um, you know, he's a freshman member who has had chances to, to straighten out. Uh, and, and that's just not happening. And you, you're, you're seeing these daily headlines of things that he's doing and that he's saying. Of course, you had the, the photos that came out, you know, with lingerie and his comments oh, about orgies. I, I forgot about that. Yeah, all right. <laughs> his comments about the orgies and, you know, he, his, his cardinal sin seems to be implicating other Republicans in his uh, wild comments. Um, and, you know, it's, it's funny, we were talking about earlier, what would take down Kevin McCarthy? I mean, a photo of Kevin McCarthy at an orgy, I suppose, like <laughs> yeah, something like that. Uh, so uh, it's it's very uh, it's very unusual to see other Republicans going after one of their own like this. And it, uh, yeah, it, go does, ahead. it does raise the question about what would it take, right? for McCarthy and Scalise and others to say, all right, this guy's no good. Get out of here, right? We're going to support somebody else in the primary just to get rid of him. Yeah, and 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 the, you know, the sort of the ongoing uh, rumor mill on the Hill is that, you know, you're you're seeing all this stuff now, uh, all this negative information about Cawthorn, because Republicans really are the ones who are disseminating this information mm-hmm. and trying to, trying to knife him and, and get him out of Congress. Right. 
Well, if if we turned on you to um, explain what's going on with uh, Madison Cawthorn, we'll depend on Gabe to tell us what's going on with Elon Musk, uh, <laughs> Gabe. <laughs> Thanks and, a lot, Bill. <laughs> and and why should any of us care whether or not he buys Twitter? Uh, well, there, there. I mean, there's a flip answer, which is that we really should not care about the going on goings on of the billionaires. Uh, so as much as we do. The real answer is because he seems to have some uh, real interest and stated interest in changing Twitter's policies about free speech, uh, the way that it, uh, you know, seems to deal with with hate speech, threats, uh, threats of violence, um, you know, racism, things like that. Um, the, the easiest, most obvious example is someone like Donald Trump has been banned from Twitter. Uh, he says he won't come back even if he's allowed to, but I don't think anyone really believes that. And frankly, the, the, you know, political landscape has shifted a lot, not just because Donald Trump is not president, but because we don't have to listen to him tweeting all day. And that, like it or not, has been a, uh, very important feature of our political environment for, uh, you know, more than half a decade now, um. The truth of the matter is that a lot of politics, national politics especially, is conducted on Twitter or with Twitter in mind, whether or not we want to admit it. Uh, that's where a lot of elected officials, but also certainly reporters, live. Um, and so the idea that purely in a political, purely on the political side, you know, you're going to have someone uh, essentially reopening the floodgates uh, after mm-hmm. a lot of the work that Twitter has done to crack down on threats, misinformation, hate speech, uh, is scary to a lot of folks. Um, and there's also the broader question that, you know, Twitter has done a lot of work to ban uh, these bad people from from its site. Uh, and, and Musk seems to be saying that this is a political act and that he's going to roll it back. Um, but I frankly think it's a good thing that Twitter doesn't have as many people you know, out there with uh, threatening threatening users or, or planning planning violence. But uh, that's the <laughs> that's the short, yeah. uh, depressing answer. I mean, yeah, he does seem to believe that. Uh, uh, believe in the First Amendment, which is great, but he also believes the First Amendment has no limits at all, that you can say whatever crazy thing you want on any platform you want, and uh, I find that a little dangerous myself. Uh, So, Linda, I will turn to you to help us explain what's going on with the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Dr. Fauci is not going because he said it's not safe. He doesn't believe it's safe. President Biden is... Uh, so Linda, let me ask you, are you going and should Biden go? Yes, I am going. And, uh, I, I think it's a good idea for Joe Biden to go. So uh, obviously a lot of people are questioning his decision to stick with it, even though Dr. Fauci has dropped out. But first of all, Joe Biden takes risks every day, watching him in the Pacific Northwest for two days. He can't help himself. He loves crowds. He loves people. He likes to touch people. He likes to close talk with people, sometimes without a mask. So, you know, I think the the press office has been sort of preparing us for a while for the possibility that Joe Biden does get COVID. And none of us should be surprised there. I'm sure when the White House is weighing whether he should speak at that dinner, they have to there. There are definitely pluses and minuses that have nothing to do with COVID. Is it a good look for Joe Biden to be Mm -hmm. participating in this? glitzy dinner attended, I'm told, by will be attended by Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson. You know, the whole Hollywood thing comes up. Um, Joe Biden wants to be out there. He's talked about this. He wants to be out there talking to people, talking to the public. Uh, He will get attention for this. It's an opportunity to be funny and self-deprecating. 
Uh, and he says he's not going to eat. So I think he's going to just come give his funny speech and then leave. Igor, are you going? And um, what's your take on uh, the president's attending? Uh, I am sadly not going, uh, not out of any principled uh, objection to the the um, absolute bacchanal of, of uh, you know, <laughs> D.C. <laughs> politics, uh, just because I didn't get an invite. So I'm very bitter about that. But, uh, you know, I think this dinner is COVID is just everywhere in, in D.C. right now. It's been on the Hill. You know, of course, the vice president got it. Some senators are out now uh, with it. And and if you know, if you're truly worried about getting it, you shouldn't go to this dinner. And no matter what kind of uh, what kind of uh, mitigation efforts they're they're putting in place. So we're, we're, we're at a different point now where, you know, we do have the vaccines. And um, and I think that. Uh, the White House is trying to project a sense of normalcy here, and to, to have him pull out would would send a signal that we're we're backsliding. Right, Gabe. I want to get your take, but before you do, just uh, uh, pardon me for a quick editorial comment. But as a member of the White House Correspondents Association, as is Linda, um, Igor, your case is one of the problems I have with this dinner, and why I think they have to should totally redo this dinner. The people who belong to this at this dinner are not the Kim Kardashians of this world. They're the reporters who every day are doing the work on the, in the Congress and at the White House. And in many, many cases, too many cases, the people who are doing the work are not invited because the tickets go to people who have nothing to do with journalism, nothing to do with the White House, nothing to do with the Congress. I think it's outrageous, and I'm sorry you won't be there. If I had another ticket, I'd give it to you. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so... Uh, I am going, by the way, uh, for for the record as well. Even, oh, great! Much, I'll just uh, I'll just take your take your ticket, Bill. As much as I hate this dinner, <laughs> um, Gabe De Benedetti, all the way from New York. Are you coming down for the dinner? Would you, if you had a ticket? And should Biden be there? Um, I've retired from my uh, correspondence dinner days. I used to go, and I I'm not going this year. Um, I didn't try to go. Maybe I maybe I should have. It sounds like it's uh, the place to be. Um, I. Don't know if Biden should go. It actually seems that what he's doing right now is sort of the sensible way of doing it because he does politically, you know, we've been having this conversation for a year and a half now, want to get out there saying we can go back to some version of normalcy. Um, you know, there are some things that you can do. And he does politically think that it would be a good idea for him to go out there, give this good self-deprecating speech, uh, you know, send some slings at some Republicans and then get in and get out. Um, and he also has been very eager to promote this sort of post-Trump, things are getting back to normal in Washington, uh, you know, feeling, which obviously he couldn't do last year with this dinner, but now wants to. Um, this is a good example of it because, of course, Trump liked to not to go to this dinner and make a whole point about it. Um, right. Health-wise, though, uh, I think everyone in Washington has just sort of been assuming that Biden will get it at some point, COVID. Um, it's sort mm -hmm. of amazing that he hasn't, given that everyone in the cabinet, it feels like, has gotten it. His vice president has gotten it. Um, I don't think folks are probably at this point, extremely worried about what would happen to his health. But of course, he would be at high risk, if only just right. because of his age. Um, should he go? Sure. Should he stay for the whole night? No. Uh, sounds like he's got this basically under control. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I must say I am going um, just as a member of the White House Correspondents Association. I feel some obligation to support the team. Uh, even though I don't like the dinner. Uh, but I, I think my only fear about Biden going is not that he'll get COVID. It's that he will bomb. Uh, 
it's very it's a tough job to give a good speech to that crowd. Uh, we're we're a very critical audience, and I just hope he has some good joke writers <laughs> and and does a good job. Uh, well, that kind of wraps it up for today. Boy, you've covered a lot of territory, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, but before we let you go, uh, in doing our work with all the stories we cover every week, there's always one that that captures our attention, stops us in our tracks and say, oh my God, how about that? Uh, It doesn't have to be political, anything at all. Uh, We always ask you for your favorite story of the week. Uh, Igor, let's start with you, please. Uh, I will do a political story, actually. All right, that's good. It's about (laughs) the good congresswoman from uh, Georgia, Marjorie Taylor Greene. (laughs) Um, And we were talking about this earlier about, you know, like, where do the lies stop? Well, it seems like (laughs) she had some trouble in the courtroom uh, this past week uh, where she was asked, you know, about these comments about calling Nancy Pelosi a traitor. And initially she said no. And then you know, as soon as they brought up, they pulled up the te- the uh, her statements on a on a TV screen. She was like, "Oh wait, oh that, oh that's what I said." You know, so then she kind of reversed uh, because she was, of course, under oath. Um, and you've seen her ever since then. Uh, anytime she's asked about her text messages on January sixth or anything like that, she's she's saying, "I don't recall now," which is mm-hmm. the safe, you know, legal term to, to get out of, of, uh, of answering something you don't want to answer. And I did go up to the Hill yesterday and asked her, you know, who are these Republican members of Congress who were discussing um, declaring martial law and seizing power uh, for Trump to, to stay in office? And she said, again, I don't recall. <laughs> it, it, sometimes it's convenient not to have a good memory, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, there's yeah. so many texts about martial law and you know all these yeah. other schemes yeah. that it's hard to keep track, you know. It is indeed. How about you, Gabe, your favorite story of the week? Uh, yes, I'm going to go in a ra- radically different uh, direction here and promote a – this is an actual article written by a colleague of mine at New York Magazine, Ben Wallace, in this latest issue. Uh, it's titled When Smoke Gets in Your Wine, and it is a fascinating and very Whoa. fun investigation about what is happening to the California wine industry with all the wildfires going on out there. Oh, and apparently they're, you know, this is an unexpected thing to those of us who don't think about this all day, but of course it makes sense intuitively. Uh, I just highly recommend this article, but it essentially goes into the fact that this industry is being quietly, uh, you know, ripped apart by the fact that these wines are tasting smoky and not in a good way. Uh, And of course, this is a Mm. very, very big industry with serious implications for the state of California, but also for the, uh, you know, entertainment and leisure industry more broadly. And it's just a fun story. It's an interesting scientific, uh, social, and of course, environmental investigation. Uh, well, we may have to go back to French and Italian wines <laughs> instead of Cal- <laughs> California wines. Exactly. Linda, what caught your attention? So I'm going to go much more kind of straightforward and um, yes. go with the, the Madeleine Albright Memorial Service. Oh, yeah. It was, to me, it was, I mean, yes, it's terribly sad that she passed away, but it was just, it was kind of a warm bath. Mm-hmm. You know, going back to Joe Biden's comments about the good old days when Republicans and Democrats could be civil, it really was a reminder of of old Washington, bipartisan, um, respectful, uh, interesting. I mean, I always you always learn things when when mm-hmm. someone passes away, and I mean, and Madeleine Albright's life story is just so inspiring and a reminder that immigrants and refugees 
come to this country and make a difference, sometimes a very, very big difference. Uh, I'm glad you raised that. She was a wonderful person, a very good friend, and um, an incredibly effective Secretary of State. And in her time since being Secretary of State, she's really stayed as a leader on the world stage, keeping in touch with world leaders uh, all all over the planet. Um, uh, and you're right; it was a, a great tribute to her. Uh, I must just say, I was I was impressed that Mitch McConnell was there. It was a bipartisan salute to um, an outstanding uh, American. Uh, well, I must say, <laughs> I'm going to go back into the uh, crazy side of politics for my favorite story of the week, and it has to do with, we haven't heard much about him lately, but Roger Stone, uh, the consummate dirty trickster, um, he has become a, a very, um, what's the word? I don't know, energetic, if we will, um, born-again Christian. Uh, he's never been, but he, he has converted because he claims that it must have been God himself who inspired Donald Trump to pardon, to give Roger Stone a pardon after he'd been convicted of lying to the FBI. Uh, And he's now out there spouting all kinds of wild conspiratorial evangelical theories, including his latest is that over the White House now, there is what he calls a satanic portal. It's been over the White House ever since Joe Biden moved in. And according to Roger Stone, the satanic portal is like how the devil is funneling evil into the White House every day. And it's up to all Christians to get on their knees and pray to get rid of this satanic portal on some right-wing talk show the other day, talking about here's how we have to close this portal. Our obligation is to close the portal, which is essentially to drive Satan away. This isn't some conspiracy theory. Uh, I'm absolutely convinced that this is a, it's it's demonic. It Mm. is a satanic portal. Yep, got to get, close this portal. And Roger Stone insists that if you go down to the White House, Linda, you can see this portal. It's harder to see during the day, but he says you can clearly see this portal (laughs) over the White House at night. I'm Bill. racing right down there as soon as we can. <laughs> All right. Bill, he's, look, look, he's right. I've seen some really demonic rats in the White House basement. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, to me, it just proves that the whole gang of them, I thought this a long time ago, are totally bonkers. Totally bonkers. All right. And that's it for today. Great roundtables. Thanks so much to our panel, Igor Babish from HuffPost. Linda Feldman from the Christian Science Monitor, Gabe to Benedetti from New York Magazine. Thanks to the three of you. I can't wait to get you back. And thanks to all of you for listening. Have a great weekend, whether you go to the White House Correspondents' Dinner or not. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to the Bill Press Pod and tell your friends to do the same. Meanwhile, uh, take it easy, be strong, be safe, and come back and see us next Tuesday on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.